0: Hello everyone. Uh, this is Dave from Opposing the Matrix. Uh, tonight we had a uh, broadcast and we uh, featured Dr. Joyce Joy Pugh on it, and uh, I just wanted to say that uh, before we start the program that uh, uh, you know there there are times when we have people on and um, and we should probably make this announcement before every program now, <clears throat> but. Um, just want to state that uh, the the views that are expressed by some of our guests aren't necessarily the uh, the views of the hosts of uh, opposing the matrix um and sometimes the views uh, are those of some of the people that are hosts of opposing the matrix and some that aren't so uh, in fairness to everybody we just uh, we we believe that everybody should be heard and uh, so uh, I just wanted to make this this little blurb before we go on the air and uh, <clears throat> let you know that uh, you might find some of the things that are said tonight controversial, and you have every right to do so. And uh, we're not faulting you for that, and we just ask that you don't fault us for, uh, for the show tonight, for some of the views that you might not agree with. Okay? So having said that, we will now continue and on with uh, Pose in the Matrix for... Uh, the 26th of August uh, 2019 mm-hmm. This is A the Matrix. Uh, <clears throat> okay, what day do we have here? We have the 26th of August. It's a Monday in uh, 2019. Um, welcome, everybody. Welcome, live listeners. Welcome, future listeners, and welcome those people who are downloading and listening. Well, I think that takes care of everybody. Uh, tonight, we have a very, very special guest, uh, Dr. Joy Pugh, and she is going to be talking to us. Well, Jim can introduce... The, the subject matter, but I just want to, uh, and I, I I have selfish motives here because I have dinner in front of me, so I'm going to shut off my mic while we while I listen in, and I'll I'll start at you know, come into the conversation later on. But um, welcome, Dr. Joy. Hi. Great to have you. Hi. Hi. Well, Thank um, you. Good. Yeah, I, uh, I've been reading your bio. Very. Um, very interesting, and and you know we're we're going to definitely be talking more after the show. Your your work very really interests me quite a bit actually. So, um, Jim and Eric, hello. Hey from Detroit.
1: Hello from uh, Sioux Falls.
0: Okay, and you got Oregon here. So we've we've got most of the country covered actually. This is kind of neat.
1: <clears throat> Enjoy. So, what i uh, you from South but South where?
2: Yes, I'm in South Georgia, so I'm uh, not too far from the Florida line out there. Ooh, close to the Okefenokee Swamp. So, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> really, South Georgia.
1: So yeah, we just need a
0: northeasterner and a uh, uh, southwestern, and we'd have a complete.
2: And we have a made. <laughs>
1: That's right. We have a made.
0: Jim, why don't you go ahead and uh, and, and introduce and, uh, and and start things off, okay?
1: Right. Okay. Dr. Joy is the author of uh, several books. One of the books we're going to be discussing tonight is uh, Eden, the knowledge of good and evil. At a time of this world is getting so crazy and spun out of control, especially with the gay liberation movement. How I don't care if you turn on the channel, travel channel, if you want to watch a commercial, everything has a commentary. Everything is a main feature of same-sex relations filled with highly emotionally charged situations where how dare you say anything against us because you would be a cruel, inhumane monster. I mean, this is on an emotional appeal. It's just fantastic. Well, what does the Bible have to say? The Bible is very clear about the act. God is open to the person, but the act is an abomination. That's the bottom line. But then they have excuses or reasons, God must have made a mistake, you know, this is, you know, I'm, please accept me and and my relations or whatever. Well, tonight we're going to be addressing just what the heck happened in the Garden of Eden that may present an answer, a final answer to why same-sex relations are dangerous for our own benefit or, I mean, for our own good. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for mankind, all of mankind. So that's going to be our topic tonight, and um, we had a chance to talk to Dr. Joy a little bit before we get started, and I'm so excited that she understands uh, a lot of what we're doing in the UFO community. She was a member of the MUFON longer than I have been, and I thought I was the old guy that did everything first. So um, this is going to be an exciting show. Um, she's been around a lot. Um, Dave has got a, a unique thing that I wanted to add that not only is he a licensed practical nurse with a psychiatric hospital, but before that, he was a um, pharmaceutical assistant. So he knows all about the drugs too. So we have a wealth of of backgrounds here that can address every aspect of uh, mental conditions, which is part of what we're going to be discussing tonight as far as what happened in, in the Garden of Eden. So with that, I'm just going to go ahead and, and turn it over. So, so Dr. Joy, what, what would you say um, led you to um, write a book like that? And then how did you come to some of the uh, amazing conclusions?
2: Well, it's been a long road of doing a lot of research for a very, very long time. And most people that follow my research know that I actually had a dream when I was six years old that I really believed that I saw what the end of days was going to look like. And so throughout my entire life, I was wanting to know what it was that I'd seen in this particular dream. And it led me to a lot of understanding about the Bible because I was really very much a Christian, Have been a Christian since I was 11 years old when I you know, stepped to Jesus and was baptized and saved and became a member of the church that I actually began to go to the first week that I was born. So I have um, been always uh, under uh, the Southern Baptist kind of tradition. So I grew up with Southern Baptist teachings and that kind of thing and preachers. And when I had had this particular dream, I had a lot of questions that I could not have answered. And so when that happened, it made me start searching as a young person. I mean, as far back as 13 years of age, when I really found a book, uh, called the Late Great Planet Earth that Hal Lindsey had written, did I really understand it? What I had seen was very amazing. And so then that led me to um, really start reading the book of Revelation on my own. And from there, a lot of the teachers that I had and professors and classes and things like that all the way through my doctoral studies allowed me to do a thesis continually on the uh, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of first and the last. And so when I finally got out of college and, and finally had finished my doctorate, then I decided that it was time for me to be able to sit down and really start doing some research independently on my own away from the work that I was presently doing that was with the handicap. I worked for many, many years. As a director of a mental retardation uh, facility, and I was on the uh, board for the Georgia Special Olympics and also for the International Special Olympics with uh, Eunice Kennedy Shriver for children that were zero to six years of age. So I was subjected to a lot of different kinds of individuals, including those that had strange and unusual personalities, as well as strange and unusual DNA transformations in their bodies, mutations, and things of that nature. So I've always had an interest in things that were a little bit odd and unusual. But uh, because I had had this dream, because there was an internal desire in my heart to find out the real truth about what was going on in the world, I took the time to build a library in response to the questions that I had that could not be answered. And those things were what really happened in the garden? How is that going to play into end times? And what I found when I started doing the research on the end of days and was reading a lot about Revelation and sitting down and rereading it for myself and not taking the stories that I had heard as a child and going through, you know, different um, churches and that kind of thing. I sat down and read the book of Revelation and really tried to put it in perspective. And what I found was that there was a dragon that's mentioned It that says he was there in the beginning in Eden. So I knew that there was this, uh, for me to understand who this being was, that I had to go back and really start at the very beginning. And that meant starting Genesis and really getting to understand what really did happen in the garden that caused all of this to happen. Because whatever happened in the garden is why we are here and why we're headed to an end of days that I feel was quite Quite near. So that forced me to sit down for the first time and really read the book of Genesis like uh, an intelligent person who wants to know the truth, who says to themselves, okay, I want to make a blank slate. I don't want anything that to influence my thoughts. I want to sit here and I want to read these scriptures word by word. And in some cases, letter by letter, if you're looking at the Hebrew and knowing that Hebrew letters also have significant meaning. So I started and just sat down and just kept going through this because I wanted to understand what was it that really happened in the garden that caused this situation to occur with us having to choose between good and evil and why it was so impressive that we not get locked up in this tree of good and evil and that we needed to stay Basically, in our mindset, with the tree of life, and that to be able to get into heaven again, that we had to maintain a certain functionality and belief while we are here on this earth, and that's what led me to sit down and really, really, really try to come to terms with what really happened. And I tell you, when I sat down, oh, I had been at this table just, just really reading the Book of Genesis, and it just hit me uh one day and you know i'm the kind of person that i'll read something over and over and over again so i've read the bible through several times and i'm an athlete so i would put earphones on and i would listen to the books of the bible as i would walk so then you know i might have listened to the book of genesis 10 or 15 times and then You know, I would ponder each one of the scriptures and each one of the chapters and whatever. And so one day I was just so frustrated because I'm like, there's something I just know that's here that's not really clicking like I think it should. And I sat down and I really looked at the fact that I had never paid attention that in the Bible it says that God had married and marriage was important between adam and eve and i just had never really stopped to think about that in chapter two of genesis at the very end that it says therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked the man his wife and they were not ashamed I guess I just never thought about maybe I, I don't remember any stories that said just other other words that just said Adam and Eve and Eve, you know, came from the rib of Adam. I can remember that as a child. But I don't remember anybody saying, hey, they were really married. He was that was considered his wife. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. So then in chapter three, all of a sudden, the serpent shows up and I'm like, oh, now this is where the serpent's talking about revelation. He's showing up now in the garden. And so for the first time, I looked at that in a whole different light because I realized it didn't say snake, because in my mind, all the little pictures that I had seen all through my life is this snake inside of this tree holding this apple. And so I'm like, hmm, that's not, it doesn't say snake. Hmm, never thought about that. Why does it say snake? It says serpent. And so I kind of went back and looked at strongest Concordance and just started looking at the real words as to what it was, it was saying. And then I thought, okay, all of a sudden the woman's talking to the serpent and she's talking about, not eating of the fruit of the trees. And I'm like, okay, okay, she's not supposed to eat an apple. And then I start looking through there. And all of a sudden, I realize there's no mention of an apple. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where's the apple? And then that made me just really stop and think, okay, I have really not really understood. Right now, I've just not understood this to start off with. So, when the serpent says to the woman, you know, you shall not surely die, and he starts twisting this little stuff around and saying, you know, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to be like God, you're going to know good and evil, and I'm thinking, hmm, this little guy is like inside the tree, and this tree is a little different, so I go back and read about the trees, and I'm thinking, hmm, these trees are a little strange. we got the tree of life, which is the tree of life. I go back and look at the other trees. And so the other trees are making fruit after their kind, meaning that an apple tree made an apple tree and a pear tree made a pear tree. There was no trees making apples and oranges. So there was no mixing. And so the only thing in the garden that is mixed that we know about is the good and evil tree. It's got two different things going on in it where the other ones are straight after their kind, seed after their kind. So that made me kind of open my eyes a little bit. And then I realized what it says, that she took the fruit and, and did eat and gave also to her husband with her. And I'm like, oh, what? Let me read that again. And I realized, I always thought that Eve, according to the legends and stories, the way it's been kind of preached, that she was with the serpent alone. I didn't realize that Adam was right there with her. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Need hmm. to wake up about this, Joy. There's something really weird. You know, it's not like you thought it was. And that's the, that's the fallacy of people listening to, like, learning from, People who learn from people who didn't go back and look at the story. And I don't know whether, like I said, to blame people for that, because I did it as well. But not looking at what the scripture is really saying is a real concern. And, it, and I started to go, OK, this is interesting. He was her husband. He was there. She was eating with the serpent. Yet this tree is not like a tree that was with edible trees. It was in the midst of the garden and it's got this being that's kind of emulating or trying to look like he's like the tree of life because he's like he's knowledgeable or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that is what started me just going, okay, pay attention, joy to every little thing from this point on. And then I realized that once they both ate, their eyes were opened and that they knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, isn't that weird? They ate something. It's not an apple. So I'm like, okay, let's go back and look at the word eat. And all of a sudden I saw that the eat meant sexual in, in, in some of the Strong's where it's, where it's found in these particular scriptures, and I'm like, oh, and it's and it says, to, she tells God that he the serpent beguiled her, which is kind of like he hoodwinked her, but that's also another, in Strong's concordance for seduced her. Hmm. And then I'm like, hmm, isn't that weird? Now, if they were naked in chapter two, and he and her were married, and they were his wife, she was his wife, and they were not ashamed, Then they didn't have any fig leaves on them. And only when they ate or did something with that serpent did now they feel the need to know, I'm naked, and I've got to hide. So then I was like, oh, this is really weird. So, in other words, if I'm a child, and my mother says, don't eat the chocolate chip cookies before supper, And she goes out of the room, and the first thing I wanted was a chocolate chip cookie. I'm going to go over to the chocolate chip cookie thing, open it up, stick the cookie in my mouth, and she comes walking back in. The first thing I'm going to do is put my hand over my mouth. (laughs) And I'm thinking, this is really weird. Why would I go and now feel like I'm naked and sew fig leaves together to cover my private parts if I just ate a piece of fruit? (laughs) So there is where... The eye-opening awareness for Joy Pew occurred because I had never heard anything about serpent seed, about anything like that. And I am sitting at the table and I'm like, oh my gosh, Eve had sex with a serpent and that just I started crying I mean I was I'm like oh my gosh Lord I'm, I was just kind of crying and I was talking to God and I was like oh my gosh you know I've I never thought about something so terrible and I was just really taken back because it was like oh 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 this is like the worst thing so you know I sat there and I kind of cried and then I'd look at it again and I'd, I'd think again and I'd put myself in that position if I was at a tree where I was not supposed to eat the fruit and I took and ate a fruit, would I think I'm naked? Why would I not when God shows up and he shows up right after they do that. And he says, you know, to them, Oh, because when they heard him walking, coming through the cool of the day, they were literally hiding from him in the trees in the garden. And God called out to him and said, you know, where are y'all? In other words, he knew where they were at. He could he knew where they were at. But, you know, they was, he was wanting to see what they were going to say. And then, you know, of course, Adam said, I heard your voice. And I was uh, I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But there was this guilt thing going on. And I'm thinking, OK, we ate an apple. I am I would be wanting to put the fig leaf over my mouth because I wouldn't want you to see me chewing or whatever. OK, so then he said, you know. He said, well, who told you that you were naked? And then, have you eaten of that tree that I told you not to eat of? And then, of course, like, unfortunately, like, <laughs> this is a joke among women. You know, the woman made me do It's <laughs> <laughs> how he kind of, you know, he responds to it. Um, but the, the problem is, and then, of course, the Lord God says to the woman, well, then, uh, what have you done? And the woman specifically says the serpent, the me and I did eat. And so when I really started looking again at the words, and I try to make jest about it because it's, it's very serious. And I guess I shouldn't be just really laughing. But it really was a way for me to really see that what really occurred, if you had been eating a piece of fruit, you would have never hidden your private parts. You'd put your hand over your mouth for eating. And the fact that that made me start looking at the words, you know, what does the word beguile mean? It means hoodwinked, deceived. It means, in Strong's Concordance, seduced. And these were words that I was like, oh, my gosh. And then when I started looking at the word eat. And the problem is this. Whenever we translated uh, the Bible from um, the Hebrew, which is the Old Testament, and, of course, the New Testament was in Greek, when we translate anything from one particular language to another, we lose some of the understanding. And um, so in translation, the word eat can mean that you literally ate an apple or it can merely mean that you ate sexually. Um, and that you can have a seed line, and it can be seeds in a fruit, or it can be seed line of a tree, meaning that you have a generation and that's your lineage. So there's a lot of times that in the English, we don't have a lot of words to really explain what The Hebrew text meant, and until you go back and you look at that, that word is different than this word. In other words, the Bible is quite interesting. If you take a word, you can find that there's several, sometimes meanings for those words because it's a different word in Hebrew. It's not the same word where in English it would be the same word. So that's the that was the first thing that really let me know that there was this this weird thing going on. And of course, I really found it interesting that then you know of course god curses the serpent and um he he gets a curse where adam and eve don't really get a curse they just get punishment and and of course their punishment was going to be that they would have to leave eden and at the same time that you know spiritually they were going to die unless you know they decided to to shape it up and, and follow god as he expected But I think that the thing that really solidified to me, and I never really paid attention to it, was in in Genesis 3.15, where God says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy heel, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And he's talking, you know, to the serpent. And so you really see that. There's a woman's seed, and then there's a serpent seed that apparently has happened in this. And if that's the case, if you just ate something, there wouldn't be a seed or there wouldn't be a lineage coming out of this situation. So that let me know immediately just by going and cross-referencing, um, you know, seed time, harvest, and then seed lines and, and serpent seed lineage, then there was immediately you had to realize that something Conceptual had happened between the serpent and between the woman by the way that God rendered His judgment under those circumstances of when they had committed this uh, particular sin, and I just thought it was strange that in in chapter, I mean in chapter 3:16, God says to the woman, "I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception." In sorrow, thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to the husband, and he shall rule over thee. Well, it's kind of strange, that, don't you think, that if you were just eating a piece of fruit, that all of a sudden now you're you're going to get cursed in childbearing, and your children, you're going to you know, bring sorrow and sadness, and, and and I'm thinking he's already seeing children. Okay, I know that God has 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 the mind of whatever. And understands forever I get that but he's also saying something for the present and for him to say you're gonna I'm gonna greatly multiply the star and the conception why would a woman having a baby have anything to do with eating a piece of fruit I mean they're just it, it just goes on the more you look at this the more you get the understanding that there was a sexual relationship between Eve and that Adam stood there and allowed it to happen, and and then there was children involved because then the curse is between. I mean, this is God's curse between the woman's seed and, and the in the in the serpent's seed, and so the fact that he turns around and he tells Eve, "Your desire shall be to your husband." How dare you go with somebody else? I mean. Nobody else. You're you're gonna be to him and to him alone. That's the way it's supposed to be. He shall rule over thee. And then he says, because to Adam, because you listened to your wife and you didn't stand up and against this situation, and that you um I've specifically told you not to eat from it. So curse is the ground for your sake, and you're gonna have to go outside the garden and you're gonna have to sweat your brow, really look after your family so you know those kinds of things are the things that just really started making like red flags because you can't you can't get any other understanding throughout the bible that this thing about mixed if you go from from genesis all the way to revelation is constantly telling you not to mix. I mean, God didn't want his people mixed. He didn't want his lineages mixed. He didn't, I mean, he even told Moses and them, if they went out, you know, going to the promised land, you kill every man, woman and child, including that and the animals because they had mixed seeds in them that were not of the true Purity of which Adam and Eve had been made, because we, you know, we know that uh, Eve was taken from Adam, and he was taken, and she was taken and made from his rib. And today, science—I always say—science is finally catching up to the Bible, and it's going to prove the Bible has always said what was correct. Science is going to prove it for us. But most people don't realize that the rib itself is the best place for you to get the purest DNA in any person. Hmm. So the fact that he took that rib and he made Eve from it, then every um every person that they would have had as children would have been of a pureness. In other words, the DNA would not have been modified or changed in any form or fashion. So you couldn't have gotten this these weird characteristics that we see when Cain is born and and if, because that wouldn't have existed. And so in my research I show that um, you know, when Cain is born. There's a question, even if you read chapter four, and a lot of people want to fuss about they'll say Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain instead I've gotten a man from the Lord. Well, she's specifically saying she gotten a man from the Lord, but she's also saying she bare Cain. And Cain in Hebrew is interesting enough the word acquired. And that's a very strange name to name your son, acquired. And then it says she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the of the sheep, and Amos was the tiller. Cain was the tiller of the ground. But the the thing about it is, when I started looking at that, I'm like, oh, there's only one conception here. And apparently, if she had eaten with the serpent, and then she turned around immediately and ate with Adam, and then she gave birth to apparently two children. And it's not, it's interesting enough. It doesn't say that it is. Uh, like what we see in the Bible on down in other uh, passages where it, it'll tell you that the woman had, for example, I think it's in, um, let me look right here. Um, it's in uh, Romans 9, 10. It says, and not only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one man, you know, she had two children. Um, uh And the father, of course, of the two children of Jacob and Esau was Isaac. It it, it will specifically tell you, interesting, that it was by one. Well, here it doesn't really say that. It just says she conceived. And then she has these two children. The first one is she has gotten him from the Lord, And the first one is named Cain. And in Hebrew, that means acquired. And then she bare again his brother Abel. And then you look at what the Hebrew name for Abel. Abel translates as breast. So we know that in the garden, when 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 God created Adam outside of the garden and blew the breath of life and then put him in the garden, the interesting thing about Adam is he had this breath of life within him. So the fact that when you name a child after you, then it's quite interesting that Abel had the breath, Cain was acquired. So I immediately thought, well, that's kind of strange. Now, that means that she, if she ate with a serpent and then she ate with her husband, then could there be a possibility that um, she could give birth to twins and they not be from the same father? And and so, yeah, so I was like, okay, is that possible? So I mean, I went to the medical literature and I began scouring through all the medical literature to see if I could find if there had ever been a case in medical history which would tell me that um, that could be possible. So in other words, could she eat with the serpent and turn around and eat with Adam and have essentially twins? Well, sure enough, I was able to find that in the medical lit- literature. In other words, two different fathers producing two different seed lines. In other words, the twins can be conceived around the same time from two different fathers. In other words, if a woman were to go with a man that was not her husband and then go home and then lay with her husband, then they could end up having she could end up having twins and the first child born would be from the first sexual encounter with a guy that was not her husband and the second child that would be born after the first child would be from the husband. And and so the medical literature calls that heteropaternal superfecundation. It's a real long word, but it's <laughs> it's very real. And it uh recently, in fact, I found something that was reporting on twins of different fathers back in December of 27, December the 27th of 2010, according to the Indo-Asian News Service on TV in 24, I think it's there in Poland. It tells that this is what I'll just read it. It says the twins mother became pregnant while she was having relations with her husband and also having an affair. She gave birth to a boy and a girl. The husband was the father of the boy and the boyfriend the father of the girl. These cases, although rare, do exist throughout the medical field. It occurs when a woman produces two eggs and has sex with two partners while she is ovulating. So the fact that we have in, in you know the history that these things can occur, then that makes a little bit more sense because, again, if the DNA from Adam was perfected, by God and he was made in his image and the breath of life was put inside of him. And when the rib was taken, which is the most perfect spot to take the DNA to make uh, Eve, then we know from um, Mendel's peas that if you've got two different people, you get like uh, four you get you get a white and you get a red and you get a red and white mixed in two of the four. So with Adam and Eve, they should have had a pure mixture of not really a change of anything that would be uniquely odd. In other words, everything born after them should be after their kind. There shouldn't be anything unusual about it. Well, we find, as we read on into scripture, that um, Cain seems a little bit uh, unusual because he's a tiller of the of the field, and we know that was what really uh, Adam was forced to, to do. But that Abel himself was more like of the lord who was a shepherd of the flock and and cain tended to not have the respect for god and when he brought his fruits to the lord which was not his first fruits which was demanded uh then god was a little bit upset with him and when he didn't accept it then cain kind of showed out well when you think about him getting wrought with god and not listening to the creator I'm sure Adam and Eve had been very explaining that, you know, when we got kicked out of the garden was this problem. But the the problem was he had a tendency. He had personality traits. He had unusual traits that made him not feel that he had, in, had to have any type of respect. So there was a element of him, uh, which the mm-hmm. medical literature now says, if you are uh, born with specific Psycho tendencies that you will have these deviational personalities and of, of whatever, uh, especially in criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. They're now proven through science that there's a connection genetically to that. So, the fact that Cain actually becomes the first murderer and he kills Abel tells us that there was something very unusual and very different about Cain. And when we look at what happens with Satan and, and how he fell. From grace as Lucifer from heaven, that kind of thing. All the stuff that occurred with all this, that you see that he was deviant in some aspect. So Cain did not fall like the seed of Adam and Eve. He was not. He was not like them. And even in scripture, we know that the the really the the oldest son became the. The, the the big cheese, as far as the way that um scripture had been written. But nowhere does Cain fall into Adam's lineage. Nowhere in the Bible. It's always telling us in scripture that Cain was of his father, the devil, or of Satan. It never tells us that he was the son of Adam anywhere in Scripture, and I know someone uh, was really concerned because they said, "Well, well, Abel's not mentioned, but in 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 Jewish history and that kind of thing, they never mention somebody that never has a lineage. In other words, Abel died before he had children or had any 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 lineage. Uh, when Cain went on off and he, you know, went to another city, he was marked; he was put away from." Adam and Eve. He was. He his lineage is there in Scripture in Genesis. And then we know that Adam and Eve eventually had a son they call Seth. And it's interesting to me that Seth is also quite quickly told in Scripture that he is in, you know, his father's image. Again, making us know that there was some reason Cain was not in 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 the image. Like he should have been of Adam and Eve. Hmm. So those kinds of things, you know, really kind of change the whole aspect of first of all, to be married, you got to be a man and a woman. So like we we were uh, I have been concerned, especially with the homosexual agenda that's going on in the world right now, when they say that they're married and they cannot marry. I mean, it's clear, scripture holy matrimony i mean this was all established from the foundations of the world when adam and eve were put in the garden they literally were married and they were to make you know seed after their kind at no point in time were they not you know married male and female everything that was there is after its kind of it seed time and harvest for everything so there's a male and female for every aspect of every animal and so if you try to see that if, if that was the case and God wanted it to be different, he would have made Adam and Steve, you know, with no, with no seed time and harvest or following after their kind. But the Bible completely starts with, you know, I've made this you to replenish the earth, seed time and harvest and everything will manufacture whatever after its kind in other words the blackbirds will go with the blackbirds red go with red birds i mean it's it's not a change up it's not a mixing um that's one of the reasons even the linen cloths that the the jewish people wore they didn't mix they didn't even mix cotton in with it In other words, it was supposed to be, everything was supposed to be pure. And that was one of the reasons that God consistently was telling his children, uh, the Israelites and the Hebrews, don't mix. He tried to keep them away from the Babylonians. He told them, please don't do that. He was trying to maintain a perfect lineage. And, of course, my research shows why that was important, because after Abel was killed and Seth came into Give us the lineage all the way down to Noah, and we know that Noah was how really the flood came about because there was only perfect in lineage was Noah, and then how that crossed over the flood, and 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 I feel certain that Ham, who was um, not the brother, who was the half brother of Shem and Japheth, that some way between his mother and them getting that together in another sexual. Relationship is how the recessive genes that were left on the other side of the flood crossed over and then they became like thoroughbreds because that's why Ham cursed, I mean, why Noah cursed uh, Ham's son Canaan, was because he uncovered his father's nakedness while Noah was drunk. Meaning, again, go back to Strong's concordance saying it's correlated through the Bible, he laid with Noah's wife. We know that Noah never had any children after the flood. So if there was recessive genes in there from the serpent lineage, because there was just nobody left to get on the on the ark except eight people. And that when they started mating with each other after the flood, the problem was if you had Ham that had the recessive genes and you had this woman that had the recessive genes in there. Production of Canaan meant that he had more dominant traits, and what happens in that particular lineage, and you see that with all the what I call the blue bloods, they were like thoroughbreds. They would they would mate with their mothers. The the sons would come back and mate with the mothers, and that would give a little bit more of that dominant gene. And so that's why that answers the question. Well, how did Goliath and and um and the giants, the remnants of the giants, survive the flood? They survived the flood because there was still that particular genetic structure still available out there to uh, constitute a, a serpent lineage. So that's how it kind of moved through history and got us to the point that we can understand what the parable of wheat and tares was all about that Jesus was trying to say. And what people really freak out about when I try to say that there's something here with us that looks like us, but it's not all of us. And it's been growing along with us, but at the same time, God can't pluck it out of the field because when he does, he takes some of the good with him. And of course, being a little South Georgia girl and working in peanuts all my life, my dad. Um, got my attention one summer because I was not quite doing what he needed for me to be doing on the farm all the time. I was kind of growing up and thinking I didn't have to do that all the time and work real hard. (laughs) So he put me in a peanut field pulling up the weeds out of the peanuts. And what happens wise is when you would try to pull some of those weeds, you'd pull up the peanuts with it. And that was a no-no. So I can understand wheat and tares and why God would allow that to grow until a harvest time because when he starts plucking things out, he couldn't really do it. Um, and I know a lot of people have, you know, concerns that if they have RH negative blood, you know, could they not be saved? I had uh, a lady who worked with me for several years who had the six toes on each foot, which we know the, the, the giants had the six fingers and six toes. But that does not mean that a person cannot be saved. It just means that there's, a, there's a DNA remnant left over from, you know, a genetic trait. That was there that mingled with humanity. The, the, the problem with the people that are in a serpent seed lineage is that they are in a fallen state forever. They never seek uh, restitution. They never seek any uh, desire to be saved. They are in a fallen state. And you see that because when Cain did what he did, he never You know, when the Lord God came to him and looked at him and said, you know, where's your brother Abel? He turned around and looked at God and said, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, that's the most negative, don't care attitude that we see today. Because I always believe that at the end of days, we would see the spirit of Cain rise again. And that's the spirit of selfishness. I don't have to do anything for my fellow man. It's not my responsibility that they they have issues. So. The spirit of Cain was one that he didn't really care about his brother. He was very um, wroth with God. He didn't listen to God's instructions, and he never asked for forgiveness. He was too busy worrying about when God put a mark on him that somebody was going to you know, kill him. So it had, he, had, he had, no, had no desire to become something else. Uh, but other than what he was. And so that setting us up to have two seed lines here with us that came out of Eden really manifests itself all through uh, scripture. And a lot of people don't understand. And I've had people say, well, why is it when you read the Bible? It's so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And I just really don't understand all that. Well, what it's doing is showing you, especially in Matthew and in um, Luke, that le- the lineage of Jesus did not have anything tainted in it, that it was from that pure lineage that came from Seth to Noah and then Noah to Shem and right on down to uh, Jesus. And the reason is, is that if that lineage had been tainted, then God could not have gone to the cross and died as a lamb that did not have a blemish because he was born of Mary and he had to have so many chromosomes from Mary. So it's it's an, it's an amazing thing that we know that God created us in his image so Mary was in God's image in the beginning and he was in in the image when he came like that as well so it's kind of like a a double fold of genetics but at the same time it explains why the Bible is so adamant about not mixing about staying pure and about having the lineages so in line to explain why that was important but it all started in the garden and it will manifest itself all the way through the end of days when the 144,000 are put it sealed in their forehead because those 144,000 it says are virgins of the 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Jacob that are still alive today who are practicing mosaic law but when it talks about them being virgins, it's not like they have not had sexual encounters. It means that their lineages are pure to the nth degree. In other words, they have stayed in that pure state that Noah was in. In other words, their lineages. Okay. When I realized that, I was like, oh, isn't that weird that they have to be sealed in their foreheads? And, of course, that's when my work comes into the pineal gland and why that's sealed it into dates. But at the same time, it also helped me understand something that I had been reading and researching for a long time. And that was why when Hitler was killing the Jews, or the so-called Jews, that he let the Rothschilds go to start the this, this state of Israel, but yet he was killing Jews. And then I I came to the understanding by the research is, no, he was doing genetic testing. He was finding the true, pure Hebrew lineage that was pure, that was really the chosen people of God and the people who were the mixed Kazarian Jew that was a part of mixing with the Babylonians versus what was the Sephardic Jew, that, that was the difference and why Hitler was killing the pure and not killing the mixed. And so um, that was a real eye-opener because I didn't realize until a certain period of time that that, the Hebrew and the Israelite were, were once not called Jews. I had always thought in my mind, that was the way it was. But it was like when we first had let me white people who had sexual relationships with a black person, they had a child, and they called them a Malada. Um, they had to have a name because they weren't really white and they weren't really black. So back in the day when the Israelites, the Hebrews, were taken into Babylonian captivity and they had sexual relationships with that group of people, then their child was a mixed being, so that's when the term g" kind of came into being so it it it's one of those things where there is a major concern all through the Bible: do not mix, do not mix, don't be adulterous. I mean just think about how many times it talks about the adulterous woman you know all the stuff about marriage don't do this don't do that i mean there is just so 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 much about mixing and and how terrible that is and how god doesn't want that and you know we look at the things that we're doing today where we're genetically modifying stuff and mixing frogs with tomatoes and that kind of stuff i mean we are we are playing into the hands of evil because we're doing so much mixing. That was totally against God's plan from day one. He made everything seed after its kind, doing a certain thing to replenish the earth, to follow this specific game plan. And like I say, the fact that that tree was a tree of good and evil was a red flag right in the beginning because it was something that it had two different things involved in it. And it set us on a course for all of us. To have to choose between good and evil, and that whatever we choose is the way we're going to have to end our lives and and be judged by the Creator Himself because He's who created everything in the beginning, and He's the one that's going to be there doing the judging when is, when all you know when all is said and done. So it's a real concern that uh, if you don't get the foundation of what happened in Eden, it was impossible for me to really get the understanding of why there's a wheat and a tear, why it says that there are these things among us that are of us, but not of us. They look like us, but they're not of us. All these things that we haven't really had the true meaning established, we can now understand that there's something here with us. It looks like us. It act like, acts like us, but it's not of us. And it's here for one purpose. And it's here to destroy us and take our souls. Hmm. Because that's the thing that's the most important asset we all have.
1: Uh, I got a question for you. Um, probably everybody else is wondering about too. What about your dream?
2: What about the, well, my dream, my dream was I was six years old. and I always went to bed as a normal little girl. And of course, I was born, and raised on a South Georgia farm, so I was not subjected to anything like you see today on TV. I mean, the TV went off at eleven o'clock at night, and you know. Uh, Walt Disney was on Flipper, things like that. Nothing that would be difficult or um, mind-boggling or destroying. I mean, back in those days, they didn't have movies like Armageddon and Killing and, and anything like that. So, I mean, cowboy movies about worst killing thing that you could see. Um, and I just went to sleep that night uh, down in the uh, bedroom next to my grandparents there in our old farmhouse, and I was my sister was 18 months younger she was asleep next to me and I just fell asleep like any kid and all of a sudden I'm in this uh, terrible situation where I am watching something being totally annihilated and I'm standing there seeing the end result of it and there's just this massive destruction of I mean there's nothing it's like total massive destruction that I have never even seen produced on a film screen in, in Hollywood today with all the movies they've made about the end of days uh and it was just it was this quiet and this 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 uh inability to even hear your breath and i'm thinking that i'm the only thing that's left and i'm watching all of this and i'm seeing as it's being just it's just it, it the sky is like all these colors and it's all this stuff is just too tumu- just 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 destroyed and i can see for miles and miles and miles i mean it's like this huge valley and it's just everything's gone and I'm standing there scared to death because I'm thinking that I'm the only person left. And I start, you know, just kind of feeling like major panic. If you've ever had a, the worst panic in the world when you were a child and you got lost by, you know, from your parents and you couldn't find them and you thought you'd never find them again. I'm thinking at that little age that there's nobody left but me and I'm seeing this and there's nothing left. I mean, it was just total destruction. And it was by fire, not by water. It was by fire. And um, so I um, in panic began to look around and I saw this only thing that was standing was this jagged looking wall that looked like these huge megalithic stones that were kind of stacked together and they were jagged off. And so I went really running around behind it to really protect myself from all this terrible stuff that was going on, you know. And um, when I got around it, there was this man standing there and he was really tall and was looking out over that jagged block toward all of that. And he looked very sad. Like, he was just sad, just looking at it. And um, I, I immediately, he when I come around and I saw him and he was looking like that, then he looked down at me and I was so scared, but yet so elated that I now know that I'm not by myself. And, um, and, and that somebody else survived all this. And he looked at me and I'm just like looking at him and he's got this, his eyes were like the bluest blue, of Paul Newman's 10,000 times over and his hair was, it was kind of a, a dishwater kind of blondish look and it was down on his shoulders and he's had a beard and he was in this white, really white, white looking, um, garment thing. And it was down to his, uh, to, to his ankles. And then he had this looking, it looked like a kind of a gold, big wide looking little sash thing that kind of, kind of held it together. And, um, and I'm so elite elated that I am not alone. My poor little heart's like pounding, pounding, pounding. And I'm just looking at him, and then he just looks at me and says, you know, uh, essentially, you know, you're not alone. I'll, I'm with you till the end of, you know, to the kind of the end of time. And I all of a sudden kind of, bam! My eyes were like opened up, and I'm sitting up in the bed, like, you know, this is like, you know, I'm just like, oh my gosh! I mean, I'm just, I'm just like in a state of I can't imagine this in my mind because it was so real. I mean, it's like it was not like a dream. It was like it was real. It was like it was so real. And so I jumped up and we running down the hall and, and woke up my grandmother. And I wanted to go to the church right then. I wanted to go to the church right then. And I wanted to be safe right then, right, right. Just, I didn't want to wait. And, of course, she tried to console me and tried to act like, well, it's just a dream. And I'm like, no, you know, I, it was in a child's mind. It was un you know, for me to try to even tell her that what I'd seen was very difficult because I was a child. I'd never seen anything like that. And I can remember just kind of trying to figure out how do I tell her about this? How do I explain this? And so when she talked me out of going to the church and just told me she was taking me there the next day, and finally got up and ate breakfast and I was still after, you know, and she was like, joy, I want you to be a child. You know, you don't need to worry about things like this. Um, it's okay. One day when you feel uh, when you turn 12 years of age, because I always thought we had to be 12 years of age to make a decision if you wanted to join the church or whatever back in those days. And so what happened was, then every time I got a chance with my Sunday school teachers, I would be like, "What does it mean when you see this? And what does it mean if it's like that? What does it mean if you saw something like this and this and this and this? And they would come out and <laughs> go to my mother and my grandmother. Where does joy come up with these questions? <laughs> But it was because I was like, I'd seen this. And like I say, when I, my mother and I were at Rexall Store, and that's where she bought her uh, medicine from the doctor. And I'm standing there, and there's like a little bookshelf that spins around. That's the way you found books back in the day if you didn't go to the library. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, I'm spinning it around looking at the books, and there's this Great Late Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And I take it off the shelf, and I'm like, I start looking at it and reading because I was an avid reader. I I read all the time all the time when I was little growing up, all that kind of stuff. I was always in the, the library reading books and would always have wind the thing for the summer for reading most books and that kind of stuff. So I'm like, Mama, please buy this for me. She's like, what is this? And I'm like, please, please, please. And she's like, what? And she's looking at the book because it's kind of scary. I mean, you know, people didn't read stuff like that back in the day. They were too scared of it. And I'm like, please, please. But anyway, she could buy it for me. And I went home, and that afternoon I just sat there and devoured that book. I mean, I didn't put it down. I, I read it all the way through before I stopped. I was just so aggressive because I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody really gets what I saw. Somebody understands something that's going to happen. And like I say, at the same time, I began reading the book of Revelation and began seeing the correlations of what I'd seen and how it was going to happen and this massive this. I mean, I just, I knew it. I knew what I'd seen was real. I knew it had something to do with that. But I just, throughout my life, it just it led to the work that I do today. And who would have known? I mean, you know, six years old that now I'm 62 years old. And I have had this a part of my life since that day. And it has really been the mainstream of everything that I've done internally, never thinking that I'd be writing books or doing radio shows or even talking about this because of what I chose as a profession. I will honestly say that I always wanted to be a preacher, but In the Southern Baptist religion, growing up, a woman, oh, don't walk into the pulpit, and don't be, don't you know, don't ask to let me pray (laughs) in the congregation. That was not allowed back in the day. You could be a Sunday school teacher and sing in the choir, and and maybe do a special or something, or play the piano. But uh, we've come a long way since those days when I was a little girl. So the opportunity to, to even think about becoming a preacher was just non-existent. But yet, everything that I ever did. Every paper that I was allowed to write, or if I was in speech class and I was allowed to stand up and speak about something, I always chose biblical things. And it was usually always about uh, the, uh, the beginning and the end. It was a lot about the end of days. I mean, so it's been something, even when I started writing poetry, I guess, second grade and on. It, you would see in my poetry now that I go back and look at it you know I was always talking about like uh, bombs and atom bombs and and death and uh, and you know the the need for people to wake up and that kind of stuff so when I would do let say board meetings and things and we'd be sitting there and we'd be waiting for somebody to come and I say hey did you see so-and-so in the paper and that has to do with Biblical times, or this, 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 and people would say, "Joy, I didn't, I didn't realize you knew about that kind of stuff, you know." And I, it was just something that I was engrossed in for what I loved because I had had that dream. So that dream, really, I can honestly say, was a, it was a stepping stone toward learning about all the stuff that I know today. So that's why. All of my books that I've done are just filled with information. they're They're easy to read. I made them easy to read because I mean I wanted somebody that's twelve years old to be able to pick it up and read it. But at the same time, you can't read them fast because I have so much information in every little paragraph that correlates all this stuff together and moves you from Eden all the way till today and into the future about what I believe will be happening in years down the road and how it will all manifest and why it's happening and why we were designed in Eden and why God has allowed things like this to occur Mm -hmm. and that we are the final, we are the terminal generation. So I mean, my whole research has been based on that experience and that dream. Dr. Joy, I got to ask you a question.
0: I, um, <clears throat> going back to the whole uh, Ark thing, uh, those Ark, uh, there are those uh, who would would uh, ask you, um, why would God, if He wanted to wipe out that genetic line, allow it to come across on the Ark? And, and they might argue also that um, He uh, that there was a second incursion because they would say that in Genesis 6 it says uh, that uh, there were giants on the earth of those times and then there's a semicolon, I think, or a colon, I can't remember. And then it says, and then later.
1: And also, yeah. yeah. That's right.
0: Mm -hmm. That would seem to suggest that there was a second incursion that brought about, uh, you know, the lineage of um, Goliath and uh, uh, Agabashan and stuff like that. So, how, how would you answer people that would say something like that?
2: Well, uh, let's go back to your, what was the first thing that she said, the very first?
0: <clears throat> oh, yeah. Why would God, if he wanted to wipe out uh, humanity and that, probably that. Uh,
2: Why would he let it, it cross the flood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had that same question because I couldn't figure out all these years how Goliath, Og and them were there and, you know, Goliath had brothers. We know they had brothers who would killed. And so I couldn't figure out, how did they get across that flood? How did it go through the flood? And why would God allow it? And one day I was reading in Genesis about Noah's and Noah's Ark. And I, again, have always looked at the pictures of Noah's Ark. And on the pictures, it would have two giraffes and two lions and two monkeys and two birds and whatever. And I thought, okay, that's really neat. And then I read in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, Mm -hmm. the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: the male and female. And I'm like, huh. That means instead of two giraffes, there was 14 giraffes, seven males and seven females. (laughs) I've never seen a picture like that, ever ever like that. It's kind of like the picture with Adam and Eve with the apple. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, so he took more of the clean, but then he also took unclean by two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Why would he even take an unclean beast? Okay. Okay, go ahead. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. So then we find out that Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives are with him in the ark. So that means that there were eight people. So if you were to say, okay, well, if God took sevens of the clean, Mm. and two of the unclean, male and female, that he would have done the same thing with Noah and them, because Noah was pure in his lineage, but the rest of them could not have been totally pure in their lineages. Mm. So that meant they would have had recessive genes from the mixing that was going on prior to the flood. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. Is there a way to figure that out? And so I looked at the Bible and it says, which I thought was quite unusual, that it doesn't really name Noah's wife or that um, who the father of, I mean, who the uh, um, mother of Ham was. But it says Japheth was the elder of Shem. So they were brothers. But Ham was different and he was the last one and then i found it interesting because we were talking about the way the lineages show themselves out it gives you noah's lineage and it adds to him and ham was the father of canaan and canaan is of course the child that noah cursed and i'm like okay why would Canaan be in Noah's lineage when Ham had many sons before his final son, Canaan. So, I went back and looked at that and it said that when Ham came upon his father being drunk that he uncovered his nakedness. Well, I always thought he saw him naked. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And then I started looking at, where does it say uncovered somebody's nakedness in the Bible. And then I started finding other scriptures, and what it meant was that they had had sexual relationship with their father's wife. Mm -hmm. So that would mean that Ham had actually had a a relationship with Noah's wife. Now, was that his mother, or was it another woman? But the fact that Noah never had any other children after the flood, and that Canaan was the one that became cursed. And from Canaan, we know that, that we have like um, the lineage, <clears throat> even including Nimrod in them, where if you look at what they've uncovered, like in um, architectural drawings and statues of like Nimrod <laughs> and things, we see a being that seems to be half serpent and half human. <clears throat> I mean, you can look at a lot of the, even the, the ones left swear as the Anunnaki that they try to say is the Anunnaki, those that came from heaven to earth. Um, and they're supposedly the ones that helped teach the Sumerians their particular um, intelligence and brought the culture, uh, cultural kind of things to humanity. Uh, and the Sumerian texts and whatever, those things were considered half out of the ocean and half man. But if you look at the way they, been drawn or, or let's say etched in stone, they show a man on one side, and the other side is like a scaled being. So it's like they're saying that whatever this thing was, including a wing, that there was something of serpent and something of human. And of course, you can go and look at like the Mayans talk about the feathered serpent, you know, that there was a that all these. Snakes and dragons and serpents are all connected to all the megalithic buildings which are completely all the way around the world like that. And they're all on these Telluric ley lines and they're all connected because the megalithic buildings are all connected. And of course the Chinese have the oldest known historical records and they called them the path of the dragon. Mm-hmm. So it's all these things are connected through that whatever happened in the flood because every, every known race of people going all the way back through time have a flood flood story. True. Mm -hmm. So the fact that that happened and the fact that God allowed clean and unclean to cross over means that, let's just say that if Ham had been what he should have been and gone with his wife, that that probably their genetic setup would have been different. But because he uncovered his father's nakedness and slept with him with uh, Noah's wife, then that son Canaan was the one that was cursed. So if that was the case, that's why Canaan is listed in Noah's lineage there in Genesis, because he was he was really the grandfather and the stepfather and. And and Canaan became Ham's son and yet his half brother <laughs> through the marriage thing. Yeah, it's
0: kinda it's
2: kinda weird, but that's the way it was kind of set up. So I think genetically, when you look back and you look at the way that the pharaohs they all went back and married their sisters and then their mothers, and you've got the thoroughbreds, you've got the royal Lineage that has been ruling the earth. um, They are thoroughbred. They call themselves blue bloods. They do like we do thoroughbred dogs, where you breed back and breed back until you breed out the specific genetics that you want out, and you, you know, the dominant traits become more dominant. And I think that's where the serpent lineage was able to manifest itself and really um, be able to survive.
1: In any act of rebellion, if you look at the uh, pattern of Lot and his two daughters.
2: Yes, uh, the same the thing.
1: The two daughters it, had ancestral sexual relationships with Lot, and they produced all of the Amorites, the Malachites, the Hittites, all the ites that gave everybody a pain and a problem because right. they were entities that should have never been. They were not part of God's um, plan. Order. That's so right. It, any that's kind right. Of an ancestral nation has been a like a total contamination. But um, but there are, you know, it's funny because the premise of my book that I wrote uh, 24 years ago was that, that a lot of prophecy would not be fully understood until we could understand our concept of space and time, which we do not understand, and the fact that the earth is hollow. And because yes. of, of being hollow, when Cain was sentenced to wander in the land of Nod, east of Eden, it had nothing to do with the surface of the earth. He was sentenced to wander inside the earth, where he was. Uh, and when they, when the giants had come out, And I've checked with Dr. Mike Heiser to check to to make sure that my um, Hebrew was correct. And he said, yes, it is. But, Jim, and then he didn't agree with the rest of the premise, the conclusion. But, you know, Mike is about as top as you can go on this planet. He's esteemed as one. He will never let people know that. But he's considered one of the top five experts in uh, ancient Hebrew. And uh, he said, yeah, Jim, it could say that, but. You know, that's good enough for me, Mike. You don't have to agree with my conclusions. But uh, I see that uh, the reason why we find all giants all throughout the world, and I've been called a racist, they're white. Ooh, and that throws a, a wrench into some things. There's a reason why. And we um, can't get into this tonight. No way, because we're not even uh, beginning to get into that. But um there's... Well- there's a situation there, uh, the, the like you said, the regi- residual genes that do exist. But if you accommodate the idea that, that Cain was sentenced to wander from the face of God and hidden in the earth. Now, in is only there. That word can be used on, up, in, down, everything else. But it, it depends on its contextual use. And the thing is that only in the uh, Jerusalem Bible, which is a direct translation from the, the um uh, Septuagint, which would be the Bible that Jesus had used mm-hmm. uh, in his day, or the uh, King James remains at in. Everyone else is translated, or I say mistranslated, is put on the earth. So everybody's thinking that, that there's nothing unusual. He was just separated in a different area on the earth. No, he was sentenced to wander in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So the kings of the east that come out at the end of his pit, thanks to CERN, is going to be what's down there now. Um,
2: well, you know, it's very interesting because, you know, uh, I'm sure you heard the stories about Admirable Bird, who supposedly found uh, a way to go down into the hollowness of the earth. And there's always been the question that Hitler had absolutely gotten into that hollow earth based and had to been other, down based in there. So in the,
1: I can even show you the chapter, text, and verse of scriptures that describe that very thing. It's in the book of Job.
2: And that and I think that's very important because I do. I've always believed that hell is inside, like the earth says it's below us. Uh, I find it also interesting that um, when we talk about the bosom of Abraham and that there was a great gulf between them. It also says that when Jesus died, he went down into the earth and preached before he brought that first fruit up with him that walked the earth and was resurrected during the time that he uh, resurrected. So I, I truly do think that there is something inside the Earth, um, including Hell in those areas as well. I've always said if we could drill down, I used to laugh and say I'd like to have somebody that was a billionaire say, "Hey, come on, we're going to drill down as far as we can drill in the Earth because I believe if we can find Hell, it'd scare everybody to death if they could know it was there." It's kind of like um, I believe it was uh, Art Bell that had the uh, the sound. That somebody had drilled really far down and they had the, I think it was called the Cross
1: of Hell. Yeah, there was, a, uh, that was, run, the Russians had dug down nine miles apparently, but um, I know 700 Club had it on, gosh, as early as 1978, but you know, they've all had to recant now. They did find out that, that was faked up. Well, it's they really, only went, what, seven, eight, nine miles down. Right. Big issues. You've probably got to get down, probably what, 800 miles? Yeah. Because even though the the Earth is hollow, it still can atoma- accommodate all of our modern understanding of tectonic plate shifting and volcanic activity and everything. When Fukushima had uh, uh, literally rocked the world and shook it, uh, Dave, I think it was you, they, they had made a comment about uh, the Earth rang like a bell. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it can only do that if it's hollow, I guess. But, uh, well, but the Bible the, is pretty conclusive on that. I've, I've had that in my book um, 24 years now, talking about the hollow earth and how uh, we've been able to take a scripture that takes it out of speculation into an exact science. Um, you know, it's, it's real. It's sound doctrine. There's a lot of scriptures. I got a whole chapter just devoted to the hollow earth because it's that important to understand what we're living on and the mechanics of how a lot of this stuff interplays with with each other. and especially our, our our concept of space time, we're looking at it linear. Whenever we're looking up in heaven, everything has already been done. It's finished. Oh yes. Thinking, thinking linear, we gotta realize that we're seeing a culmination of something that we can't even fully comprehend because we're like living in a three dimensional world trying to understand a four dimensional world.
2: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: The brain has to have a switch that goes on and off. Okay, uh, we will know even as we are known when we behold Him face to face. That's when we're when we're up there in a fourth dimensional realm. Then all of a sudden, like living in a uh, flatland, of two dimensions, and then you 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 know you're a round dot, but you can't even comprehend what a sphere is because you don't have you got length and width, you don't have height, and then all of a sudden you're in a three dimensional world, and wow, okay, so that's the way it is with us. Even when when um, Ezekiel was looking at a whirlwind, we think of Dorothy and Toto, a tornado, and he says he was looking down into the whirlwind. What he was looking right. at was a wormhole. He was looking at four dimensions, trying to comprehend it from a three-dimensional. So a lot of the stuff that he was saying, you know, that uh, descri- trying to describe, you know, these four faces and they went one way and went another way, you know, it was beyond his ability to fully comprehend what he was looking at. But what he did understand. It was a cloud that came from heaven, from that whirlwind, down him and spoke to him. That's right. And then in ten, cha- now all the UFO communities they try to create a craft from from that experience there, and it's like that's got nothing to do with. It. He's the those were showing <clears throat> a cycle or a pattern of events that would happen that would be consistent all throughout the Bible. And then at the tenth chapter, and the UFO community never mentions that a tenth chapter. They, uh, he he sums up what he saw. He says and I knew these were the cherubim Mm -hmm. by the river Kyber. And I knew that they were, this is a living creature that I saw by the river Kyber. And I knew that they were a cherubim. So first off, he's identifying it as something alive and real, but then he's also describing it as an order of an angel that basically other scriptures describe as a heavenly taxicab. And um, that's how the whole idea of, these man-made ufos where did they come from how did they get the technology what they did was mechanize the biological function of an angelic order so that man could now do what the angels did this goes back ties in many different things but our concept of space and time and a hollow earth is the only way a lot of these things are going to be seen as interconnecting links and uh, oh i'm sorry i was just going to say once i understood quantum mechanics and i mean it didn't take all that long because they've got some excellent videos out there that could, one's a little cartoon thing that makes it so simple and easy that you can understand it i've got a couple of videos out now on spiritual warfare on a quantum physics level um once i understood quantum physics man the light bulb went off all of a sudden every major doctrine of christianity that we hold dear to is provable by quantum physics Quantum physics concludes that this whole world that we're living in that we call reality isn't even real. It's like a computer program that somebody is running. And they're wondering who's running the program. Well, gee. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we know who it is. <laughs> there's this little G guy who thinks he's the god of the world who has this Pinocchio world that he wants to be real is isn't real. And if he can get everybody to confess and speak the things of this world in his way, he's hoping, according to quantum physics, once you understand it, that he's going to make this world real. And then there's uh, you know a delayed reaction thing and an interconnectedness. The the what the Lord showed me is a two slit experiment, which is the foundation of all of quantum physics. He says, Jim, look at these two slits as being the two trees in the Garden of Eden. By the way, did you know in the Hebrew, trees, in its full contextual use in the Hebrew, means wood planks as applied to a door. Mm. Those two yes. things are are two dimensions one that never fell but in order to get there now you have to pass through death to get new life and in the other free and easy wide wide and uh breezy you can just go through but yet now jesus had to be correct the paradox that was created because there was a paradoxical uh thing that happened that literally ripped an altered dimension. This is this is Satan's projection of what he hopes and wants to be real. So the only bridge back now is Jesus Christ, you know, through the cross. So you have to have your ticket to get across the bridge. So in in all of that, we're living in a computer program. So what it quantum physics comes down to, what are the two seeds? One seed is a carbon based creation that God had created, the other is a silicone based, sentient artificial intelligence. They have their own rules, their own standards, their own God, everything. They can't be part of God's kingdom. They never will be. That's the seed of the serpent. You have some exactly. of them integrated in their mix. So now it's like, uh, it's almost like the shirt. I've seen these shirts a lot of times. So I'm ex-army, so we used to actually wear some of them. Kill them all, let God sort them out. So mm-hmm. in God's kingdom, it's pray for them all, let God sort them out. So yes. By human perception, we don't know who is and who isn't. We can't ever think that we get to a place where we can point a finger and say, you are, you aren't, you know, you're weak." Now, um, but that's the reality we're with. It's all about two seeds. I I think you probably know Gary Wayne. Yes. I think his book is absolutely an essential read to become familiar with the two seeds. Now, his seed identification is mainly on the Blue Bloods, the uh, the current elite, and how they have maintained and stayed connected to the God of this world and become part of this ruling system. Yes. and he does a great job of it. My book puts an emphasis more on the other seed, our seed, and how God has preserved sure. and provided for us. So the thing is, though, that in my background, now all of my college education is Assemblies of God, Central Bible College. So that's hardcore Arminiasts. I'm neither a Calvinist or Arminiast, and yet I'm both, but I'm neither. That's mm-hmm. something I can explain that. All my, a lot of my videos, I do explain it. Everybody, John Calvin, Joseph, um, Jacobus, Arminius, are both trying to approach salvation on a one-dimensional level. But we got three dimensions to us. we got a spirit, soul, and a body. Right. The Calvinist camp understands the two seats; They can accept that easier. It's harder for the Armenians to accept that because they've been taught that there is one seed is spiritual, one is physical. But you show me. I, I've yet to challenge anybody. You show me the scripture that shows and defines that one is spiritual and one is script, uh, uh, physical. Because I'll show you every scripture. they're both physical. It's always been a war about two seeds. The only reason I am saved today is because I got Hebrew blood running in me that makes me able to be saved. The only reason that anyone... So this redefines even the 144,000. It redefines a lot of what we've been taught. That was just we trusted the person, they did the best they could with what they had at the time, but Daniel was told to shut up and seal up the meaning of some of what he was shown because until the time when knowledge would increase and run to and fro, which there's a whole different meaning to that run and throw stuff too. But it would be a time when knowledge would increase, suggesting that as our technology and understanding of the cosmos progressed, these things would begin to open and make more understandings. Not that some old, true, tried and tested um, thing from 200 years ago is going to outdo or outshow Um, the newer revelations or awarenesses that are coming today. No, it's just the opposite. We're beginning to understand quantum physics that redefines a lot of our uh, scriptural reasons for unlocking because, actually, apocalypse means the unveiling, the unlocking. Apocalypse doesn't mean massive destruction. That's part of it, but we're beginning to understand more of what our scriptures are saying because, like I liked what you said, science is catching up to the Bible. That's right. And real science, true science, this is what we're finding. So we're living in exciting times, and I think God has purposely sprinkled out different elements of realities and truths in all the different theological camps, forcing us to unite together to get the whole picture.
2: Oh yes, I so, agree.
1: Arminians and Calvinists, you got to get together. Jesus only, uh, only, and, and Trinitarians, you got to get together. You know, I mean, whether you see uh, two thrones and a dove or one throne with everything rolling in one, you know, let's wait and get until we get there. Right now, let's just love one another as a family and go forth and do the great commission was to bring everybody into the kingdom as we can because the time's running short.
2: Yes, and that's what my books and my research show that we are really on the edge of the end of days, very much so. And, you know, when you mentioned about the uh, Hall of Earth, I think about how many times I've done research on the ufos especially the ones that come out of the volcanoes and then out of the ocean yeah. you know it's kind of like we've got we, we know that that stuff has been released that we've been able to get our hands on where i mean you've got to think there's got to be something coming out in that area and of course you go back to all the stories about admiral Byrd and then also about hitler about the the middle earth and that kind of thing so i um I mean, I'm like you, scripture sure says that stuff is down there and you can't, if you're going to believe scripture, you've got to believe it as it says it is. You can't twist and turn it. And that's why I say that if you look at it in one area and go down to another area of the Bible, it will confirm itself because it will speak the same thing over and over. And that's how you can test whatever you're looking at, whether it be on a Strong's concordance of word or whatever Hebrew, you know, changing it back and forth or or even in the Greek, what it's really meaning. And you can get a very great understanding of what the Bible is trying to tell us. And I do think we are living in the most, I mean, I I just think the prophets would have loved to have been here because they prophesied that these things would occur in a generation all at the same time. And never has our our world encountered so many of the things that the book of Revelation tells us is going to happen in in of days. And to be prepared and to look up because our redemption draws nigh. Nice. So, I think it's really important that, like you say, Christians really come together. We're getting to be the minority of the world, and there's coming a time when we may have to suffer greatly before there is a, you know, a, a
1: return by John, Jesus. I noticed that you are a member of uh, some patriotic group.
2: Uh, yes, the uh, Daughters of the American Revolution.
1: Can I, can I ask you, if, I, I hope we can go here, I don't know, but um, have you heard of Mark, Mark Taylor?
2: I don't think so. Oh, you haven't? Oh. oh. I'm trying to think. Mark Taylor. Was, I mean, I know I know a Mark Taylor that's from here in, in the community that I'm at, but no, I'm not sure that I know the Mark Taylor you're talking about.
1: Mark Taylor is from Florida, next door to you. Uh-huh. He's a fireman? Yes. And God had called him to... Understand some like, the calling of Trump, President Trump.
2: Oh, um, is he the one that did the prophecy on Trump,
1: right? The prophecy on Trump about being, uh, like called like King Cyrus, or yes. I guess, so throw in, yes,
2: yes. I just didn't, I didn't remember what his name was, but I, I've in fact, somebody was mentioning his prophecy the other day. We're talking about it here on a Facebook page, I think it was.
1: Uh, well I'm I'm a big you know I' I don't keep this secret I'm a major supporter of uh, Donald Trump I think God is using him like Cyrus I think that uh, yes this was a pattern of something that I was waiting to see that God before the uh, before the the uh, ten northern tribes were taken into captivity God had given like a three year, about a three year reprieve where all the prophets could go throughout all the land and compel everybody to come back and return to him and so, that little brief interim, I think, is what we're on the verge of experiencing uh, very soon. It's going to be uh, the quiet before the storm. Yes. It'll be a time of actually prosperity for Christians, but it'll be devastation for others. It'll be a time of nothing's going to be in a gray-shaded area where you can hide. There's going to be real realization of wheat and tears, and who's who and what's what and what's going on. You're going to be in one camp or the other.
2: Oh, and yeah. I right believe that. Yes. I believe that.
1: We are so divided, and the only way that seems unity has ever come has been through a massive amount of uh, persecution. And I think if anybody's taking a look around, this world is getting crazy, yes. crazier. And uh, I don't know if uh, you, yeah, is- but um, I, I do believe that Trump is going to be given a chance. Uh, now, some people are thinking this is going to be long-term. We're going its not. It's, it's, it's going to be like a pendulum. We'll have three and a half years of, of actually proclaiming to the whole world um, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, we're going to experience and walk in a supernatural power and might like we've never even dreamed. The Bible says that the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. That's uh, right. We read in Acts 2, the disciples were walking through the city and their shadows were casting inks out of people. Now, I don't know about you, Joy, but my shadow, all it does is block the the light it doesn't do anything at all so we are far away from where god wants us to be but i think that's why he's been calling us to be yes. i see it in a spiritual sense to be pure to be uh to yes. get drunk out to walk in holiness to get done not just to know about him but know him intimately we have some scripture that loses like it like you were saying earlier it loses its ability to find because i hate to say it english is about the most stupid simple dumb language that exists
2: i know i've realized that too and i never thought that until i started doing all this research and i'm like oh my gosh we
1: don't have a word for this you don't, you don't have a word for a lot of the things and like yes the, Hebrews, the hebrew that is, that is a language that only god could create himself my great
2: I agree. I agree. If,
1: if you understand Partis, partis is the way the mind of the Hebrew wrote. And, and once you understand it, you know where to look and how to look for different things, because we're not taught that here in the West, and I don't understand why. Not any Bible institution I know knows that. Now, if you're happy enough or fortunate enough, like David is a Messianic Jew, uh, he understands Partis, It's part of his culture. But any rabbinical student learns partis. Partis is an acronym for four levels of how the Hebrews wrote. And they wrote left to. I mean, they thought and wrote left to right. That's right, that's right. We're completely
2: <laughs> opposite. Reverse. So dyslexic.
1: <laughs> up in a lexicon, right you know, left, it, By the way. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, I'm left-handed, so we're always backwards, you know. And left mm-hmm. left-handers. I don't know. It's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we ended up. Many of us, myself included, ended up being ambidextrous because we just keep flipping from one way to the other because we're taught we got to be one way and. Yeah, our natural inclination is to be another way, so we're a little both. <laughs> yeah, it's totally crazy sure. and weird. But um, um, it it provides a whole new awareness once you understand how they wrote, how they think. And then our lexicons are limited in what they can do because it's easy for us in English because, um, and in, in the Greek, let's say even, you know, they'll have one word with their... A de, uh, further definer always as the suffix, not a prefix. So mm-hmm. you up e and look everything up in e. So the equivalency to e in Greek, you look at that up, and you got everything there. All the variations are right there. In Hebrew, you can't do that. That's right. Because all of a sudden, you got earth round, earth like, earth orb, or whatever it might be. Then you got to look. Oh, well, you got to look. You, you got to look at e first. Then you got to go over and look at the O or then you the other now some people not knowing Pardis can use reference materials. One of my favorites, I'm sure it's gotta be one of yours too, is um Vine's notes on Strong's numbers. Right. Gives some great commentaries. And through that you can kinda and the uh I think Dave, you use the blue uh letter bible. Blue letter Bible. Yeah. It, it helps you, you know, get around get around that too. But if you know the PARDIS, uh, it just is such a shortcut where you can know exactly what to look for or you do it probably like me i you're a geek like me i can already tell and um you know i want to keep searching and looking if i got a look up i do this on a 30 which is it the 38th uh, 32nd or 38th chapter of though which is talking about leviathan when i realized yes. Leviathan collectively was the entire rebel alliance of satan satan is a, uh, as a as a name for the whole embodiment so i looked through and i looked up every word in an entire chapter it took me even with my bible program it took me over two months and yes I every word out because what i was finding was incredible I found yeah
2: when you break it down like that it's amazing what the bible gives to us when you break it down there's oh, different levels.
1: I found in there that there is a New Age rapture that's going to happen. It's very real. And the Lord gave me a dream first, and then I found it in Scripture. And that's where we I found it, talking about plowing up the death of hell, um, plowing up, making furrows, making literally bringing stuff back, it, because the Antichrist would be the firstborn of his kind, just as Christ was the firstborn, only this is in a way of rebellion. That's why we're beginning to understand cloning, transhumanism. Right, theology. right. All this Frankenstein stuff is going to make... A dead person come back to life and that's then, right since he's the firstborn of all his kind so um you know it's there and it talks about believe it or not um a hawk that flies to the point to the far extreme south and there makes a fortress of defense with ivory surrounded by ivory towers and his army of idols that's the antarctic that's why whatever happened down there happened that's why oh, it, yes. All your global elites uh, have been going down there to what? Feed penguins? I mean.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know it. I'm like, it's amazing how many times they've been down in there. It is well, amazing.
1: The the Antarctic ice is melting because one of the right. is slowing down and it's causing the melting. They're finding pyramids. They're finding they are. city coming up and it's been it's been frozen in fresh water, which means. Whatever technology, whatever stuff is there, it's we in Re-saved. That's right. My computer a couple of days ago, that uh, my uh, air conditioning went out, and then it it melted the frozen water that was up in there, and it came right down on top of my computer. Now my computer's okay as long as I just dry it out completely, plug it back in, it'll, it'll be good to go, I guess. But uh, the stuff down there in the Antarctic is the same way. So all That's these right. all these global elite, they're sitting there waiting. And I'm going, I'm going, uh-oh, yeah, you wait until that, that little hole over, not uh, too far from what you call Little America there. There's, there's about a 144-mile hole there that's going to dry up, and <laughs> with the help of CERN, you don't even want to know what's coming up out of that place because it's not well, good for us. You know
2: what, as far as revelation, it tells us that the abyss is going to open up. So we know that that's coming. And those elite people that know about this, that's been involved with this all this time, they know it's down there. And I fully believe that's why the manifestation of UFOs and the government coming out about all this stuff, they know they've got to do it because this isn't to be available for us. It's just the commoner because of the melting, because of the numbers of things that we're seeing they can't continue to hide it. It is happening every day. I mean, you think about the uh, the different numbers of the UFOs that we know that people have seen. this in the military. Those people aren't lying about stuff like that. I mean, a long time ago, when I first started saying something about seeing this stuff, I, and I wrote about the first one I have ever that I ever saw back in my Parables of Joy book on a Georgia farm when I was eight years old, riding a motorcycle with my father. I mean, people would they literally were like, "What was it? What did you see?" You know, da 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 da. And, and now, having gone through years and years of knowing that these things are definitely real, there's something to them in the manifestation of how many more people are seeing it. I mean, the people that I deal with, the case studies that I've done, the counseling that I've done, the consulting that I've done, it's just more and more. And then you get people who are on their deathbeds who've been threatened that if they tell this stuff that their family is going to be murdered and killed that will come yep. to you and say look I'm dying but I want because you're doing this research I want you to know what you're doing is right and this is what I know just ask you not ever bring up how you how you found out what you know
1: Joy I want to throw one scripture at you look it up sometime when you, you've got some quiet time Revelation 9-9 look up the word sound in, the, in context it's in the sounds of their wings is as a sound of many chariots in the battle Now, Wings has no biblical reference, really, other than uh, he's like the clouds upon the wings of the wind. He rides upon a chariot upon the wings of the wind. So Wings of the Wind isn't defined there, but in the 18th chapter of uh, the Book of Enoch, Wings uh, is described literally as gravity and how it holds all the planets together, how it uh, controls the different uh, motions and movements of everything in space. Then it says, and I also saw the pathway of the angels meaning gravity. So it has a reference to being uh, a flight, an ability of flight that is based on gravity or anti-gravity. So keeping that in mind, look at that scripture and let, look up the word for sounds. It It'll blow your mind and it, you'll probably have a, a fun time geeking out. Look at, after you look at it in the, in the, um, in the original uh, Greek, then grab your vines, sit down to grab your vines notes on Barnes. Uh, I mean, on, uh, yeah, Vine's notes on on uh, uh, Strong's concordance, and you'll be in for a real trip. I know you.
2: Well, you know the thing that's always interested to me is that it says in the beginning that God spoke, and everything came into existence. And I find it interesting that sound because I've done a lot of research in sound. Sound waves and sound can actually move objects of vibrational movement of whatever. And now that we can do MRIs and actually see every aspect of your body and then we can take and do three-dimensional tools by scanning them and make it into another tool. There's something very interesting to me about sound that sound, I mean, what do you think about it? If we can we, we can sing the loudest, we can sing, we can break a glass with our voice. What could the voice of God do? If we can break a glass with the right pitch?
1: Here's the thing. You know the the ephod that the every Levitical priest wore. Yes. You know, uh, now it's called the tablet of judgment. Yes. There's twelve, g- 12, 12 stones. Twelve stones. Stones represent uh, 12, 12, twelve tribes. tribes. Mm-hmm. So each tribe has a, a name. Now. What's interesting is in Ezekiel 28th chapter, Satan is given nine of those 12 same stones. That's right. But three of them are left out.
2: That's right. And I always say he was, he, was, he was three shy of being smart as God.
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing, you know, you can have a recipe, but if you keep out three main ingredients. You got a problem. What do you got? You, know, you, you got a cheap imitation. You don't have the real stuff.
2: Well, so see, I'm, that's the thing. I don't understand why people follow Satan, because I'm like, he was a created being. God was not a created being. He is, I am. He was, he is, he was always, he will be always be. Why would you think that you wouldn't want to fall? Like if we had a ball game, would you want to be on Satan's side or God's side? Who's still, who's going to win in that situation when he's got 12 stones and the other one's only got nine? I mean, you're already, I, I don't I don't get it. But then Satan uses things to make us fall and fall over it and tumble, stumble and, and look his way. And then that's how he did. Eve, you know, he was there waving, like, look at me, look at me. I can make you do this, 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 you know. And you get sucked into believing that you can do something that you can't. You need well, to be on the winning team.
1: It, and here's a, one thing. I mean, you can do some things, but you can't do everything. so Because, right. you know, it's it's like uh, dangling, you know, a carrot before the hungry rabbit or something. You know, okay, you could do this. Wow, you know, we we can travel time. We can, uh, we can fly. Faster than the speed of light, we can we can have these sonic weapons. That's really cool. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> it's a cheap imitation. You know, it's just exactly. A, really, it's not. You, you know, there's the guy that's in control of all of that.
2: Well, yeah. it's like you're talking about the Matrix, and you're talking about that he yeah. Satan has the capability of being inside that system, but he's not the one that created the system. He's not the one that's running. The system, He's just manipulating the
1: system. Look at you know Jesus warned. Uh, well, I mean through the Old Testament, um, he he was telling Amos, why you know why do you seek? Or he was telling Amos to tell the people, why do you seek the stars and not the Creator of the stars? That's now, right. Because you know there's a truth in the mechanics of of the stars. They were set there to determine times and seasons. Exactly. For all patterns of what God was doing, not to go down to the every individual. Just like. Um, the New Age would like to have us get in personal touch with our guardian angels. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, That's pretty funny. there's a servant like anyone else. There's one mediator between man God, and God the man Christ Jesus. So the same with the stars. Yeah, there is a truth there. But Satan has put a wrong premise and a wrong conclusion on there. You can guide your own life and be your own. You, know, you can tell your own future and everything by that. Well, you know, there's an element of probably, probability truth there. But you know what? God says, no, trust me. I'm the one that knows how to what information to give you when you need it and how you need it. Don't do it on your own. The pineal gland. Don't open it up on your own. That's right. I allow this when I need to give you revelation.
2: Instruction. Right.
1: I will do it in a way that I know that it won't puff up your mind. You'll need to know what you know. When you need to know it, not not any sooner than that. So let me control that. You're not in control of it. When you try to control it, you're in an act of rebellion. So it's the exactly. same. Exactly. So Other uh, physics that are messed up with the metaphysics. Uh, the way I look at it, the, the New Agers end up they're worshiping the universe. You Ever see that? I mean, even in Kirby,
2: Oh yes, oh
1: yes. first told me. Now what they're doing in the Easternized version. I know you know this, Joyce, but our audience, for some of you, that don't. When they're referring to that, they're talking about the Ka- the Akashic Record. In other words, they say that every sentient, intelligent be- entity and being from everywhere and anywhere um, have this cosmic gas mass somewhere in space, and your intuition can actually tap into that. So the first thought that comes to your mind is usually because you're so intuitive, you've tapped into the Akashic Record, and they're giving you an instant answer based on all the consciousness from all life all over. People go, oh, ah, that's great. And they try, and it works. Answers come to them, the demons the devils are just sitting there laughing, going, we oh, spoil these stupid humans are." something. That's
2: crazy. right. That is so
1: true. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I yeah, am, okay. you know, so you get all these secrets. Yeah, and the devils are just laughing the heck out of you. I compare it like this, you know, that, that Neo, when once Neo in the Matrix found out that he was able to disobey all the natural laws because he was stuck in something that wasn't real, he could mm-hmm. fly, he could do anything. That is what God's trying to bring us to a place that we are stuck in a Pinocchio world. It's not real. We have authority in the name of Jesus Christ, the right. child of God, which has all authority over everything. So people are worshiping the program, which is the universe, instead of the processor, which is the power source, God Himself. So well,
2: that's what I, I said in my book all the time that these people are worshipping the created and not the Creator.
1: Well, it's going through a middleman. That's stupid yes. to go through a middleman. That's, <laughs> that's right. That middleman is not looking out for my interest. It was written by the power source. Wouldn't I rather go to the power source because he that's created? Right. That's right. That's right.
2: So, but when, that's that's what people are missing because they they like the touch, feel real. It's a it's a lot harder to see the entire matrix on the outside. And the the, the person that created it. But, you know, the top scientists now, most of your top physicists and scientists are saying that the world was not created out of chaos. That because we have the amount of order that we have in our world, that there had to be a creator. And I'm glad to see science is fine. I mean, there are some scientists that are really well known who are now standing up and saying, this just didn't happen. This order is too specific and it has to have a creator. Think. Goodness! I mean, science is really—it's making us—it's making what we've been saying for years in our in our research and people may have laughed, conspiracy or stupid or whatever. Science is literally going to prove that what we said and what we're saying tonight is really real.
1: Well, you know, just like Neil, once he realized that he had could be over all everything, it's like when the New Ager says. You know, and it feels like they have some superior understanding because the universe told them this, the universe told them that. And I say, well, why are you settling for the second best for, for a middleman? right. <laughs> I go to my That's Jesus. Nice. I go to my Jesus. You know what he tells me? I have, I should have loved him above everything else, trust in his word and what he says I am and what I have, and then walk in confidence as a child of God. You know what? The universe doesn't tell me anything as no. a child. I tell the universe what it can and cannot do in my life. I tell the universe that I don't have to obey anything from your world. It's not even real. I obey my Lord, and he overwrites and rewrites anything that you think you're saying or doing. I don't need to hear what your Akashic record says because it's all baloney. Mm -hmm. I tell you, in the name of Jesus, get out. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, that name has authority and power over (laughs) you, universe.
2: That's right. It does. And it says if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain, cast a mountain into the sea. I mean, we know that Peter walked on the water when he got up out of the boat. I mean, there's just all these things that we know are like you're saying. If you could, if, if not, those things would not be told that you could do.
1: Amen. Listen, and,
2: and a lot of people don't do not be they're not that they can't get in their minds that you can only see in certain wavelengths of light. That everything on this side and that side, you can't see. And some people don't want to believe it. I said, look, if you didn't have a microscope, you could not see dust mites growing or bacteria growing in your hands. If you didn't have a telescope, you couldn't see into the heavens. If you go by the naked eye, you can only say so much within light. You can bend light and somebody's standing right in front of you and you cannot see it. So we are only seeing, like you say, in the three-dimensional world. But there's all this other stuff going on all around us, all the time, that we can't see.
1: Listen, uh, we have approached the time in our program we call pumpkin, which means some of us got to work tomorrow. And we're going to turn into pumpkins, so we have to wrap it up. And <laughs> well, you're in my okay. You're in my time zone, so it's yeah, it's getting late. So, anyways, um, what we like to do then is uh, give out your. Um, websites any way that people can contact you or get any further information or anything if you can just share that with us right now
2: sure the website is it's ecom that's joy with an e d-r-j-o-y-e.com and then my facebook page is joy j-o-y-e last name is P U G H. and you can find me on facebook and uh Become one of my Facebook friends, and that'll be a way for you to keep up with what I do. But on my website are all my books and all the links to my books, very easy to uh, access that. And then there's also a page on my website that if you have a question about anything that my research is involved with that you'd like to know about, or if you have a particular case study that you'd like me to get involved with, there is a submission form that you can put there. And uh, at the end of next month, I'm going to be doing my first. AMA Ask Me Anything show. So I'll be doing a little bit of radio shows on Mondays, uh, the last Monday of each month. And so if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer live on the air, you can send that as well through the submission form. So a lot of stuff going on and a lot of nice radio shows. And I thank you all so much for allowing me to be on your wonderful show tonight. So nice to be able to converse with Christians who love the Lord and understand the days in which we live and how important it is for people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his saving grace and it's a, it's a wonderful thing I think to be alive during this time
1: and, uh, thank you for coming and sharing with us um, I'm sure we'll be getting you back for some other interesting things that uh, you've also wrote about and, and shared
2: so. yes yeah, so I've got a lot of different things in my books because there there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff in my in my research it's not just one little thing I think I've got in every field of study there is and have a love for all of it. So I'd love to be back on in the future.
1: All right. We'd love to have you, Joy. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you
2: so much.
1: All right. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thanks. Thanks. You too.
2: Good night. God bless. Good blast. You too. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.